This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Cherie Alexander. Now, Cherie has done really something amazing. She studied and learned from con artists, from CIA operatives, from interrogators, from trial attorneys to uncover patterns of influence and communication to help have an amazing impact on how people receive your message and act upon it. So we're going to talk about some of the common misconceptions about influence. We're going to talk about the patterns that con artists and these interrogators use. And then we're going to discuss how you can apply those in a real business setting. I'm telling you, there's some really cool stuff that you're going to learn from Cherie Alexander. So Cherie, welcome to the program. Happy to be here, Ian. Thanks for having me. What else should people know about you? Yeah, I think that, I mean, obviously people are very intrigued by the whole bringing the dark arts of influence into the light and the interviews and studying under that I've done with CIA agents and all the people that you listed in the intro. Um, the one interesting thing in this journey was when I originally started out, I thought what was going to happen was I would learn like some cool technique from a CIA agent and I'd learn some cool technique from a con artist and, you know, one technique along the way from each person or a handful. And then I would synthesize them together into some sort of process that normal people like you and I can use. Um, What shocked me was that they all use the same it's the same strategies, the same tools, the same steps. They may call them something different. They may um, use them for different purposes. But no matter if it's a spy or a trial attorney, they're using the same communication tactics. And I found that, quite frankly, dumbfounding. Um, and even more so in that people, leaders and and business owners don't know this information. So that's why I'm on just such a mis- mission to bring the dark arts of influence into the light because there is something terribly wa- wrong when a con artist knows more about influential communication than a leader. Isn't that, isn't that crazy, though? Mm-hmm. So, and and, and we're, we're obviously going to unpack some of these ideas, but start with this because I, I think that if we ask three people to define influence, mm. we'd get four different answers. So, True. So define influence for us in this context. Easy. Influence is communication with a goal. Okay. So communication happens all the time. You and I are communicating right now. I'm describing what I do. You understand me. We have communicated. But it is not influence. It's not influential unless I have some goal in mind for you uh, to either think a certain way, act a certain way, or feel a certain way by the end of either this conversation or by a certain period of time in our relationship or whatever it may be. Yeah. And so, so give me, give me an example of 
kind of the influence that the con artist, the CIA agent, the interrogator is looking for. And then I want to compare that to the type of influence that our business people are looking for. It's the exact same thing. That's the that's the beautiful and shocking thing is that it is all the same. Um, it's a three step process, and it um, it's the name of my business. Actually, that's how poignant this lesson has become. It is observe, connect, influence. So usually, when people hear like about influence, they think, "Ooh, I want to learn influential techniques." And so, if you think of observe, connect, influence as a three-step process, like a, a set of stairs, you start, you step onto observation, then the next step is connection, and then the third step is influence. What most people do is they think, "Oh, I'm going to jump up to that third step to influence and use this influential technique." Uh, <laughs> when you do that, just as you would do a vertical jump on a set of stairs, you increase your risk. You could hurt yourself in the process. You could hurt somebody else in the process because you are taking that risk. Now, if you take the three steps at one step at a time, you actually fuel the influential uh, techniques by going through the process. So uh, breaking those down just a little bit further, with observation, you are looking for certain things in your mark. And the term mark is a phrase that I use to shorthand the, the phrase of the person you want to influence. Yep. So um, you profile your mark, you look for certain things, and that's something that we can talk about here on this interview, of course. Sure. And then the second step is to build connection. Another word for that is rapport, to basically build the likability between you and that person. And then finally you get up to step number three, which interestingly enough, usually if you go through steps one and two of observe and connect, you don't necessarily always need that you know home run hitting influential technique. Um, but it helps. It's certainly great to have it in your back pocket, especially in a jam. So when you use all three steps in that sequence, your life is better, their life is better, everybody's happier. It's it's a solid formula. Sure. And I do want to get into each one of these. One of the observations that I often share with people is, look, it's really easy to do business with people when they trust you. Mm-hmm. But first, you have to have a mutual understanding of what they're trying to solve, what their outcomes are, and have some common threads so that there's a level of trust between you that they feel, wow, you understand my situation. You know what I'm trying to achieve. Now, if we've built that rapport and, and I believe you, then I'm open to other suggestions. Mm-hmm. But until you get to that point, you just sound like somebody's selling something. Right. Can you take us through kind of the – in the context of the con artist? And the, and the reason the reason I want to start there is because mm-hmm. – you know everything I talk about is integrity based and mm-hmm. but but the valuable lessons of what the con artist does, and then right. we put that in the context of operating with integrity, I think people are going to see, wow, I do see how that works with a con artist, and now, if I do that with honesty and integrity, it's going to be that much more powerful correct, yeah, exactly, and it's one of the reasons why I got into this so so much was because people. Shy away. It's shocking constantly how people shy away from the notion of improving their influence because their next question to me is always, but what if I turn that into manipulation? What if I use these for bad purposes? Then, I mean, I have no control over that, obviously. I encourage people to stay within ethical parameters, but it's the moral person asks that question. If you're asking that question, I'm not concerned about you. And so, but people stay blind and stay ignorant to these things because they 
have a fear of being associated with somebody like a con artist. And I think that that's choosing ignorance in this field only gives those people, gives the con artists more power and, and decreases the power of the rest of us. That's awesome. So, that, yeah. I, I, I love, I love that concept. And it, I, the way we often phrase it is, look, I'm going to show you some principles and it's kind of like the force in star Wars. It can be used for good or evil. Exactly. Don't right. stray, don't stray to that dark side. Right. Well, and it's, it's a common analogy that you use of, look, a hammer can build a house and a hammer can also pound somebody's head in. But is the hammer bad? Is the hammer a bad hammer? No, a hammer is a hammer. It's how you use it. And so you as the individual have the choice of how you're going to use it. But don't completely just never use a hammer because you'll never be able to build something amazing. That's great. Yeah. So let's just take through the example of the con artist. So the con artist sees somebody who they're, they're trying to con out of, you know, whatever stage you set. Mm-hmm. So, t- so talk me through the observe, connect, and influence, you know, triumphant, if you will, mm-hmm. on, on how they would go about doing Sure, absolutely. So there's two different types of con artists. There's the short con and the long con. A lot of the things that apply to the short con won't apply to what we're talking about. So just to be clear, I'm talking more about the long con artists. And so what they look for in a mark, or in their case, a victim, is what are the trigger points that that person has? Usually they're looking for either somebody that's very susceptible to certain types of suggestion or they're looking for like, what are those hot buttons? Do they ha- Does that person have a really big ego? What do they value? What? And the biggest thing that those con artists look for when they're building a long-term relationship is how is this person not fulfilled? How is this person not getting the type of attention or, or recognition that they desire? And this also comes from the spy world of elicitation that one of the biggest triggers within us as a human race is that we all have a deep desire to feel seen, to be heard, to feel understood, to be appreciated, to be recognized. We all actively are seeking that, but very few of us are actively giving it. And the con artist is the one that makes a profession about giving it. Because they know that once the person is hooked into that that heroin of appreciation and recognition, then they can they can take that person through any journey whatsoever. Because the person will always come back looking for, oh please please you know give me affirmation, um, because they're not getting it anywhere else. So this is a huge lesson, huge lesson for leaders of any type is how are you actively giving recognition and appreciation to the people around you? And I'm not saying you have to like shower them with accolades and stroke their ego and make it inauthentic. It always has to be authentic, but making sure that you're not letting the minutia or the stress or the chaos of your world overshadow the the biggest motivating factor that you have within your team, which is you're doing a great job. I appreciate your efforts in this. You're amazing at that. Your ideas on that project were phenomenal. Any of those things. Yep. That's what counts. And so in that observation phase, and it's probably why, if you think about it, like in areas where a lot of times victims get taken as marks, it's because somebody was out drinking. They're kind of not exactly on the top of their game. They're a little bit unaware. To your point, they're susceptible. They're open to suggestion. It depends. Like I said, it sounds like if you're going, there's again, there's two different types of cons. One is a short con, which, yeah, I probably would look for a drunk. 
Um, but a long con, and and so with a short con, you're getting less money. So, you know, you're probably being able to steal a couple hundred bucks from somebody. With a long con, that's when you're getting into, you know, five, six figures of being able to defraud somebody. We'll have to look for that word. Um, And so it's not going to be one particular state of when they're drunk. And that's what I'm talking about of that relationship. And so this is a really important point is that con artists focus on the rapport. They always make sure that they are in connection with that victim before taking them one step further down the rabbit hole of, you know, whatever money that they're getting out of this person. And that's, so the con artist actually mentally flips the priorities when they're in conversation with their victim. So they make sure that they are in rapport and in connection before they make the suggestion. The rest of us who have not been taught this are overwhelmed and overstressed by, I got to make sure this suggestion gets a yes. I got to get the sale. I got to get the yes. And so we push too hard on the, the suggestion and we completely overlook the connection. Yep. And this, and I love to share this concept with with your listeners that I shared on a webinar that you and I did. That it's the hourglass theory of conversations. So we as human beings remember beginnings and endings of situations with greater detail, clarity, and emotional connection than we remember what happens in the middle. And so you can see this in movies that they always start with a bang and end with a tear. You can see this in stand-up comedy that comedians know to start strong and finish strong because whatever happens in the middle, we actually forget. We forgive plot points. We forgive a bad joke as long as the beginning of this experience is awesome and the ending of this experience is awesome. Yep. So when you look at conversations with people, your first influential intention is to create connection, to be in rapport. Then you go into your influential suggestion. And then at the end of the conversation, you focus once again on that rapport and connection with the person. Um, Because then when they leave that experience with you, they will always think, gosh, I really love hanging out with her. That is such a cool chick. I love how I feel when I'm around her. That's I'm always happy to take a meeting with her anytime. And that's because if you focus on the rapport at the beginning and end, whatever happens in the middle, that's just that's just business, you know? Cool. Yep. I, so, yeah, it's a huge lesson from the Connors for sure. Yep. So now let's take this and put it into context and kind of the, the practical real world because we're, we're learning from the behaviors and all these, all these attributes that you picked up in studying the con artists, the CIA agents, um, your interrogators, trial attorneys – in this broad range of resources. Mm-hmm. So now let's think about the business person who, gee, I'm trying to sell this idea that I have. And it could be trying to sell this idea to a colleague inside a business. It mm-hmm. could be, here's what our business actually sells. I'm trying to get customers really to figure out what I often say is we're trying to figure out if there's a good fit. Mm-hmm. So what kinds of questions should people be asking during this observation phase, which obviously sometimes is going to be passive and sometimes active mm-hmm. through this through this connect? Sure, absolutely. So during the observation phase, um, if I know I am going to want to influence somebody at some point, I figure out a situation where I can get them to try to influence me about something, to change my opinion on something, to get me to say yes to a concept of some sort. And here's the reason why. People try to influence you 
the way they want to be influenced. Great. It's it's a huge aha moment. If you can break down what components are they sharing with me to try to get me to change my idea, and if you can weave those components into your suggestion, it becomes more powerful. So certain things that I look for are, are they detail-oriented? Is it process-oriented? Are they using um, like authority to to make this idea seem more compelling? Like, you know, well, our, our president loves this idea or this celebrity has bought this product. Yeah. Um, social proof, things along those lines. Are they using an emotional pull? Are they using future-oriented speech? Or are they using past speech, meaning that like avoiding pain or moving towards pleasure? What are the components of how they're trying to influence me? Because that is how they want to be communicated to when they are being influenced. That's fantastic. So it's that idea of, you know, a lot of times people look at different personality profiles and try to figure out, gee, how's this person wired? And mm-hmm. you can guess all you want, but if you if you open yourself up for their influence, you see their their patterns. It's just like it's just like we often comment that the salesperson who in their own buying behaviors is always focused on price is convinced that their buyers are always convinced are always focused on price, even if they're not. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I've done uh, so much research with the personality types. Um, even on my website, I created an influential personality type quiz that your listeners can take to figure out what type of influencer you are, as well as who your influential enemy is, like who's, who's your Hmm. nemesis and exact opposite. Um, and all of that came from digging deep, especially in Myers-Briggs. And the reason why I chose Myers-Briggs over disc is because, um, Myers-Briggs is the system that the agency uses. Yep. And so I just ran with that one. And you don't have to become a psychologist or, or uh, you know, certified Myers-Briggs specialist to get these things because what you're, you're not trying to figure out the personality type. You're trying to figure out the communication type. And so, yeah, if you just are able to break things down into those types of components, it makes it so much easier. There's certain things that at a higher level that I teach my clients is the influential vibes of how to discern the values, the identifiers, beliefs, emotional triggers, and secret goals and desires of your mark. Mm-hmm. Um, the vibes is like the cornerstone of so much of this. And ultimately what this does is it teaches you as the influencer actually surprisingly more about yourself first because before you can understand others, you have to be introspective and take a look at your own influential vibes and how you like to be influenced and how you prefer to influence others. And then expand your awareness, expand that observation into others and build flexibility in your communication. Ultimately, what all this boils down to is how do I say the exact same thing in different ways in order to be more compelling to my different marks. That's what this all is about. It's communication, flexibility, um, and agility. And so we've gone through this process. They basically try to exercise influence over us. We see how that behavior works, so that's what we're observing. Mm -hmm. And so now we observe that. We probably also observe kind of what their triggers are around what it is that Mm -hmm. that we're discussing. Right. And now, what's our what's our key to connection? Yeah, it's simply weaving those things that you've observed into conversation. So, for example, with the influential vibes, the E is emotional triggers. So if I notice that uh, something puts that person into a positive state, then I'll probably weave that into a conversation and develop rapport with that. 
um, if I see that we have similar values or identifiers, then I just, I just simply connect on those things. And even if I'm not a big, like, for example, um, one of my executive clients at Disney, he, um, loves golf, like loves golf. I do not understand golf whatsoever. I I rarely understand any sports that have to do with a ball going into a hole somewhere. I don't get it. Um, and so, but I'm able to still maintain that connection with him because I still inquire with authentic curiosity of how was that course that you recently flew to and, um, you know, tell me about the the tournament that you just came back from, and because I'm just simply curious. And inf- all the influential people I've uh, learned under are some of the most curious creatures I've ever met. So curiosity is your gateway to connection. And what I want listeners to get is that it's easy for people to think, oh, these are dark arts; these are these are evil tactics. And your point earlier of Look, you know, you can use anything for good or evil. Mm-hmm. You're using terminology and examples, but this this is very consistent with what we regularly teach people, which is, look, you want to make sure you understand what's important to them, your customer. You want to center all your discussions around what matters to them, and then you want to present solutions in a way that aligns with how they're thinking about it, which is all entirely integrity-based. So I want to make sure that everyone gets that, that mm-hmm. this is – you know, everything you're talking about is, yes, you know, this may be the same principle that a con artist uses, but there's nothing flawed in the approach. It's just they use it for evil rather than for good. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And it has to do with, like, if you if you don't open up your awareness to these things, then you are staying stagnant in how you communicate with the rest of the world, which also means that you are staying stagnant in what you observe from the rest of the world. If you think, if you look at your product and think the best thing about this product is it saves you time. And in every single discussion you have, it's like, look at how much time you'll save. You'll save so much time. Look at, you know, you you take five hours in this and it only takes you one if you use our product. But if your mark is more interested in what they could do with that free time, or if it's fun to use the product versus the thing that um, they are currently using, if, if they have a different trigger, then all of your time-saving talk will get you nowhere. If it just takes a slight adjustment, then it will land with that person and you'll get more clients. You know, it's a great piece of advice that I think a lot of people overlook. The, the assumption is, well, our marketing department felt that the biggest value to people is the time savings. Well, guess what? Unless your marketing department is buying this thing, it doesn't matter what you guys think. All that matters is your customers. So if you said, look, there, there are two or three things that people latch onto with our solution. One is that there's stuff they just can't possibly get done that if they had the extra time, they would spend their time on. The second is that for some people, they actually just measure the time that they're saving, and they're not worried about where they're going to spend it. They just know they'll spend it somewhere else. And for other people, if they can't convert the time into hard dollars, it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything. So for you, how do you guys usually measure it? And now all of a sudden, the client tells you, and you know exactly how to present what you've got. Exactly. Yeah. And this is a big, I'd love to share this short story of um, so I had a real struggle about a year and a half ago as I was, as putting all this together, um, or maybe it's longer than a year and a half now, uh, when the Wolf of Wall Street came out, I saw it on like HBO. So this was after it was in the theaters 
And if, if have you seen The Wolf of Wall Street? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So there's this famous scene where Jordan, the Leonardo DiCaprio character, yep. creates this ironclad sales script, demonstrates it to his people, and you see all of his people say the script in the same way with the same cadence and rhythm and all that that Jordan did. And and then they they make sales. And I watched this, no, and it's based on a true story. And I watched this was and was high, highly disheartened because I thought, well, crap, there goes my whole philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a while to understand, like, what is the difference? And and here's the difference: is with with that particular scenario, like the Wolf, uh, the Wall Street cold calls, is they are using one technique to multiple marks. If somebody says no, they hang up the phone, pick up, call somebody else. They say yes, hang up the phone, pick up, call somebody else. Not all of us, in fact, very few of us have that luxury. We don't have a phone book of people that we're calling and using one technique on. We have one person that we can influence. It's one CEO. It's one buyer. And so therefore, if your target range is you have multiple targets, multiple marks, you can have smaller number of techniques that you're deploying. But if you have a single mark, that means that you have to have even more techniques in your back pocket to pull from. You have to be flexible to hit that mark because one no is the ultimate no. You can't pick up the phone and call somebody else after that point. So that's the difference between the philosophies. When a marketing team comes up with, you know, here's the best way that we want to... Uh, send out this message in our TV and Facebook ad campaigns. Okay, great, because they're going to a mass market. I, I say that I specialize in conversational influence for this exact purpose, is when we have that human-to-human conversation, how can we be more influential? You craft it so well that makes it easy for people to internalize and then apply. So it's not like a concept car. It's not like this vague idea it's very specific mm-hmm. on, on the specific things that you can do. So if, if you would give people, you know, two or three things that, look, here's the way you can start down this path to actually kind of experience what this is like, what, what advice would you give people? Yeah, so to start down the rabbit hole of being more observant, pay attention to any, and this is the eye of the influential vibes, um, anytime that they self-identify about something, like I always, I never, I, um, I just can't, I don't like any time that they self-identify about something, or I am, or I'm not. Your next question should always be, "Oh, really? Why is that?" Great. That's that keeps you in the curious mindset, and this is the big lesson from that one question: is if somebody says like, "Oh, I, I never can understand sports," then you might place your own assumption or judgment about why they don't like sports. Like you may think, "Oh, they're probably just bad at sports, so that's why they don't like it." But you're making a huge leap and judgment without any additional influential information. So that one question forces them to fill in the blanks and you get more insight into how they perceive themselves when it comes to this particular thing. And that one question leads you just beyond the surface level stuff that most people operate in. Yeah, I I think I think the question of why is the is one of the most underused and 
underrated questions you can ask. So literally so, when your client says, oh, we want this in by April 3rd, really, why April 3rd? And you'll get a ton of information. Right. Oh, we're looking for this type of solution. Really, why? Oh, because we had this problem, and if we don't solve it, and then they convince you and themselves at the same time. So we start with that idea of of being more observant and asking and, and looking for those self identifying pieces. Mm-hmm. What else? If you if you had one or two other things, what would those be? Yeah. So another aha moment for me in this journey was to be okay not asking questions. And this feels so counterintuitive, and it still feels counterintuitive even when I teach it. But let me explain this whole process. Is when we ask too many questions where you know the voice goes up at the end of the sentence and there's that question mark at the end, we as human beings internalize that and start and all of our responses go through a millisecond. Uh, but it's filled with filters before it ever comes out of our mouth. We ask ourselves, why is that person asking that question? How are they going to use this information? Should I be honest? Will I be embarrassed if I say an honest answer? What's the politically correct way to answer this? All of those things happen in that millisecond before we respond. So being aware of how you can strategically use statements to still get influential information with so this is the art of using elicitation rather than interrogation. Interrogation means that you are asking questions, the person knows you're asking questions for a reason, and they either are or are not willing to give that information up. And as sales associates, we we get a balance back and forth of what they're willing to divulge and what they're not and what they're trying to hide. Like for, you know, they're not wanting to throw out their budget first. They want to know sure. your number first, all of that stuff. So can you give me an example of what it sounds like? Totally. So let's say that they are talking to me and they want to hire me as a coach or consultant, and they're saying why they're hesitant to make a new hire because their past consultant overcharged and didn't do a good job. So I might say, rather than, well, how did that make you feel? (laughs) I would say, um, oh, I bet that must have been very frustrating and makes you pretty uh, uh, nervous to pull the trigger. And no matter what their response is to that, I am getting the influential information I need. Either they go, yeah, I, it, it really does make us nervous. I appreciate you acknowledging that. Then I, I now have good rapport with them because they feel like I'm in their head and I just was able to give voice to something that they are thinking. If I'm wrong, I'm still okay with that because they will correct me and give me the influential information I need. So if they say, no, we're not nervous at all, it's just that now we have these new processes that we have to go through and new checkpoints, which means you'll have to talk to so-and-so, and cool, now I have more information on how to handle this. Yeah, I often say that effective sales is not about persuasion or coercion. It's about getting the truth as quickly as possible. And this whole idea of influence is largely getting to the truth. And by doing what you just did, by eliciting that discussion, you're uncovering their truth. Right. And then you can decide what you do with it. So if someone says, oh, yeah, there's no the, the problem is we have to go through these 17 layers of procurement and, you know, you don't want to go through it. You say, yeah, that's got to be difficult. Is there no other way we could get there? No, there isn't. And then you're gone because it's not a good fit for you. Right, right. And so that's why I I think it's a really important point, especially for people in sales, because we so often get that glib 
you know, response or that glib lesson of ask more questions, ask more questions. There becomes a point in a conversation where your questions become intrusive and your mark becomes more guarded. So you have to find that balance of using provocative statements or assumptive statements and questions to keep it feel like a conversational flow. And and, and I I think what you point out really well is that it's a matter of empathy. So you're demonstrating empathy. It says, wow, that had to be really frustrating, huh? Mm. Oh, you don't know the half of it. And then they right. start telling you what really happened, but you didn't ask a question. In fact, I often in role plays will ask somebody, look, when we're done, what I want you to ask yourself is, did it feel like an interrogation or did it feel like a friendly discussion? Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure, then it probably felt like an interrogation. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sheree, what's the best? I mean, you've got so much great information. I know you've got this program coming up for entrepreneurs as well. What's the best way for people to find you? Absolutely. They're more than welcome to visit my website, which is observeconnectinfluence.com. I have a bunch of blogs up there. You can take the influential personality quiz along with there's a bunch of free downloads like the daily influential checklist and um, ebook on the six techniques that every influencer needs to know. And uh, thank you for mentioning the uh, launch. It's a course coming up in May, which is Persuasive Profits. And the focus of the course is teaching entrepreneurs how to be persuasive in all the profit points of their business. So giving speeches, being on sales calls, writing sales copy for landing pages or websites, um, delivering awesome webinars that lead to new clients, all of those things I'm teaching the communication psychology behind what makes something compelling. And it's a live course. So I'm also giving coaching to everybody that uh, signs up on how their particular message can be unique using their own voice and still be compelling. Excellent. And we, we will share all that in the show notes so people don't have to worry about writing while you're driving if you happen to be listening <laughs> to this on your way someplace. And I have a strange feeling that our audience will probably be blasting me with emails saying, no, no, you have to have Cherie back on because I want to talk more about X, Y, and Z. Cool. And when that happens, I will reach out to you and we'll do it again. I look forward to it. Great. Thanks a Thanks lot. so much, Cherie. Absolutely. Have a good one. Cherie's got so many great pieces of information. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what I feel are the top things you can take away and use for your business. First, remember, she talks about this idea of observe, connect, and influence. So first, in that observation phase, you want to make sure that you have active recognition and appreciation for what's going on in connection before you ask. The second point is, Look at the hourglass format that she talks about for communication. People remember what you say at the beginning and the end and less in the middle, so make sure you start strong and finish strong. And finally, remember, it's okay to not always ask questions. Sometimes, just by making a statement, you'll trigger further conversation. Remember, this program gets its input from you, the listener. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover... Or if there's a guest you'd like me to have on the show, just drop me a note personally at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have a great week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue.